This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come from personal experience, not professional training. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all listeners, so please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. This week, we are discussing The Subtle Knife, the second book in the His Dark Materials series by Philip Pullman. In this book, Lyra makes a friend in Will, and as a team, they struggle to piece together the history of their worlds and repair the damage done to them. Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin. And this is Books That Burn, book two of the His Dark Materials trilogy, The Subtle Knife, by Philip Pullman. So, our factions this book again are Will, Lyra, and Pan. Uh, Helpful adults, we have Mary Malone, a guild member, and most of the witches. Uh, antagonists. We have Kids of Sagazi, Angelica, Paolo, and Tulio. Uh, then those are the children. Then we have Sir Charles Latrom. I've been saying Latrom, but okay. also it's very American. It sounds very <laughs> Plus his minions. One of whom is featured in Will's, um, third, our third topic with Will. We have neutral parties, adults of Sagazi, then our MacGuffins, uh, the subtle knife and the alethiometer. 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 I want to say alethiometer, but that's fine. Oh, you can. It doesn't. I will say no, alethiometer. Like, not like I'm going to, but like my brain wants to. All right. So starting out with our minor character spotlight. Yeah. So for our minor character spotlight, we have specter orphans, which are a phenomenon in Sagazi. Uh, brought out by Hubris, Ego, and the Subtle Knife. Um, well, you just, that's, and why are you repeating yourself? Robin, uh, <laughs> this is all the same thing. Uh, um, yeah, so the thing with the Spectre Orphans is they're kids without parents, and they're like in a, it, they're in a very interesting situation that, um, as a, my guess would be someone who's an orphan because of a war might be in a similar situation, but like this is a like a a, a very particular way of uh, becoming an orphan because you know we have magical analogs for things. I would actually go as far as to say that this is a less a kid whose parents are in a war and more like a kid in a war zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just no, being I, more specific with the wording. Yeah, that is what I meant in my head. I just didn't say it all the <laughs> okay. way. So basically, they're they're surrounded by these uh, things that will take away their parents, like so. Okay, minds. It, they'll take away their parents' minds, mm-hmm. and the kids can't see them, and so they they know at any moment they could lose their parents. Yeah. And some of them, by the time they know that's a thing, they've already lost them. Yeah. It's a very, like, it's a very kind of specific kind of, kind of, like, takeaway from, you know? I'm trying to think, because we, it's not just, you're going to lose your parents. It's this, it's this very specific kind of horror where they're not gone they're not they didn't leave mm-hmm. they didn't walk away but it's horrific because mm-hmm. they are still there 
and they don't care anymore and they're stuck and they don't move and they don't take care of themselves and they don't even look at you as recognition. Like you can look your parent in the face and literally face the fact that they are no longer there in their head. Right. And that's a, that's a very specific, you know, that's kind of funny because it's like part war zone, part there's a disease giving adults comas and yeah, you never know actually. if your parent is going to get yes. that. Yeah. And I, I thought, I think that that's interesting in this book because it's not the kind of missing parent that we usually see, especially in, in child's fiction. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's way more common. That's part, partly why we wanted to talk about this because it's way more common to see like parents who are literally gone. Right. Like I've read multiple books where the premise is, so all the adults vanished and now the kids have to have their own society. Yeah, or even uh, or read, even literally, my mother went off to war. I've read many war. great series with that premise. <laughs> or even mother went off to war and didn't come back and I'm gonna go find her. Or my dad went on a similar hunt when he was my age and I haven't seen him since. Like, that's super I common. I mean, when, when we... When we get to Will, we're going to get a little bit of that That's one. But true. the Spectre Orphans are their own, their own weird, their own horror, genius, <laughs> like yeah. And I, I think, I think it's. I mean, we'll get into like how things are portrayed later, but I think this is like shown really well because the kids like they they act as close as I could imagine to someone in that situation. Mm, mm-hmm. They they treat adults as useless because if they tr- if they treat them as important. They're just going to get hurt. Yeah. Um, they don't trust outsiders, because of course they don't. Right. Like, <clears throat> resources are limited. No one's making more stuff. Yeah. And and so, like, with our... Uh, so there's this thing that we wanted to kind of, I guess, kind of highlight, too, that happens in this book. All the adults are not already like this. Not all the adults have been affected. And so the ones that that ha- that have not that are still there trying to take care of the kids there's this literal orchestrated abandonment mm-hmm. um with different groups of wandering people and they're and they're wandering to try and stay clear of the specters they're not wandering by choice there this is forced um mm-hmm. forced movement but they they have this they have this thing so that in any group that includes adults and children um mandated by law there's two adults one man and one woman and this book is pretty heteronormative so pretty cisnormative so in that context uh one man and one woman are designated as essentially runners and the instant that they see specters those two are to abandon everyone else and leave riders specifically but yeah riders Sorry, not runners, yeah. but they are their okay. their job is to leave everyone else behind on purpose. Let them all die <laughs> or the adults all die. Because and then come back and care for the children. And that's the kind of thing where I didn't understand when I was first reading it as a kid, I was like, how do they have this set up if they're this swamp? <laughs> well, they weren't yeah. this swamped. They had 300 years of like it's slowly getting worse, and yeah. so they had the time to, like, set up stuff and have laws and things about it. And then they got flooded yeah. with the explosion between the worlds at the end of the last book. Yeah. And so we're also kind of seeing, like, the remnants of a coping mechanism mm. hitting something that is too much to cope now. Yes. 
Yeah, they they definitely like that that slow build up really puts it in context. Mm-hmm. Cuz you're right, like it doesn't make a lot of sense if it just happened overnight, but no, this is something that they've been they thought they were yeah, handling with. Years. They thought they were handling and dealing with and then And so if you only have a couple, then yeah, having two people on horseback and then there's like one specter attacking people when it gets full and leaves. Yeah. It's, it's a very different the, the series. The whole group isn't going to be dead, but you know you have those two people. But mm-hmm. it's just too much now. And they've got, like, all this uncertainty. And, like, briefly, I want a moment of sympathy for the adults. Yeah. Because most of them had nothing to do with making the subtle knife or that whole society. And so they're just in danger. Yeah. And they've got people around them whose job it is to live if they die. And that's got to be really weird and stressful. I mean, and think about the people whose job it is to live. They are mm-hmm. intentionally, oh, yeah, oh yeah, and deliberate, intentional, predetermined survivor's guilt. Right. I mean, it would be unsurprising to me if the people who are designated had survivor's guilt before they were the survivor. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's just a lot. And, and especially- and the text doesn't go that far because it doesn't spend a whole lot of time on the no, adults no, because the adults are irrelevant. These adults are super <clears throat> impermanent and they're going to die soon. So why give them book time? No, but I mean, this really is yeah. a story for kids about kids. So it's, it's not as bad <laughs> as we're making it sound in that regard. No. But also it's, I mean, I just, you know, actually what you mentioned with the whole 300 years of buildup thing, mm. uh, a lot of those- I would bet, actually, probably most or all of those adults who are designated to be survivors, how many of them do you think were part of bands of of people who watched an adult survive when they were a child? Oh, yeah. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Like, that's... Yeah, because all these people made it to adulthood because there were specters, but there weren't a ton of them. But it still happened. It was still part of it. Sure, yeah. So with 300 years, probably a lot of these adults used to be specter orphans. Yeah. Not as many as now, but enough. Well, now it's like, what? Like 99%? (laughs) I mean, now it's so bad that the specters just hover around someone as they are becoming an adult. Which, for the record, is as they are turning 13. It's like, it's like so, as they enter puberty. So for some, it's as young as, what, yeah. 11, they said in the book. And for some, it's, you know, some kids, some survive until they're like 14, 15, and then that's it. And we continue to get little sprinklings of it. Like, it stays relevant. Part of why we spend enough time talking about this is because adults that we have been following for over a book now are going to be in danger from this in this book and the next book. Like, yeah. So it's not just like a pointless dive into a bunch of like weird horror stuff. It, it has a point. It has a purpose. All right. Moving on to Will having to adult while he's still a child. Uh, yeah. So he's kind of a general caregiver and, protector for his mother Mm -hmm. and he goes to this like weird ricochet between being and when we say like he's now like 11 or 12 like he's he's not super old (sighs) so when he was very little he completely believed her that 
all the threats were real, that someone was yeah. actually, like, watching her, keeping track of her groceries, had stolen her purse, then figured out that it's in her head, no one cares what she buys at the grocery store. Yeah. Like, they don't. They're not there. Then, oh no, people are actually after us because someone breaks into the house trying to get his father's notes, and then once Will learns about specters, there's kind of this, like, fridge horror of she kind of was behaving like someone who was being stalked by a specter. So maybe it's like, yeah, the actual threat that she thought was happening wasn't real, but something was happening to her and she just didn't know what it was or couldn't say it because it's an invisible thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's this very stressful walkthrough <laughs> of mm-hmm. like, my mom is is thinks that there's real things after us and and this is this is something I believe as a child. And then finding out that it's not physical and then oh no it is physical and then oh no the thing that's not physical there's a is also a little bit physical. Is also a little bit physical. And like I think that something that's really important to me when we were t- when we were kind of going over this uh beforehand is like there's no point at which he looks at his mother and says, "Well, you're just wrong." No. He never no. does that. Even there's in a- like step 2 when he figures out that the stuff is in her head, his reaction is like, "Well, I've got to protect her because because she's acting like this, people are going to be mean to her and I need to protect her. Like, yeah. he never just, like, casts her away. And yeah. unfortunately, because he's little, he ends up having to protect her from, like, people being terrible. Yeah. And and he, and he there's this, but there's always this element of, even if I will know that this threat isn't real, I will still treat her as though it is real, and I will still, I will not invalidate or belittle her belief in this thing being real like yeah they talk about in the book like he like the little games you know the things that she says are games when he's super little and then he realizes later like no it's actually a perfected protective preventative yeah Uh, there's a point where he actually mentions that he still plays those grocery games to hide their stuff with her because even if he knows no one is going to steal their groceries she still believes it and he's not going to he's not going to stress her out by taking away that coping mechanism and he doesn't use those words for it but he's still yeah. he's still very much validating and trying to alleviate her fear without just telling her she's wrong or like helping her touch all the slots in the park benches just yeah like, like trying to help her get home faster so let's do it together mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's it's um i don't know it's it's very good um yeah and then like general caregiver when he figures out that he has to go on his mission like he leaves his mom with a neighbor oh yeah like you know he he's the one taking her, care of her so he makes sure that someone else is going to take care of her now mm-hmm. yeah he just adulting as a child is just the best way to say it because <laughs> he is the caregiver yeah uh and he's, he's he's doing his best, but then every once in a while we get, like, an outside perspective of, like, someone else looking at him and knowing about her kind of having a, oh, you shouldn't have to do this, you're a kid kind of a reaction. <laughs> like, oh no, you're the child. Yeah, which, like, I appreciate because then it's not, like, you get something that if if you would be a reader who's a kid inclined to think, well, I gotta take care of my parents, you have 
just enough of like other people being like, oh, you shouldn't have to be doing that. That's not how this should work. Like you get, you get I think you get like uh just the right amount of it. So for it not to cause like a dissonance in the text yeah. while being like a nice counterpoint to say, okay, we know this is weird and we're trying to figure out what's going on. All right. Moving on to uh will and manslaughter. That escalated very quickly. Uh, and just like how it happens in the book, like, he doesn't have a lot of time to process and has to keep working through stuff whilst keeping moving. Just, just keep going. Moves straight from protecting his mom to protecting Lyra. Uh. Yeah. There's this whole... So, okay, before we get into, like, details of what physically happened in the book, Mm -hmm. I just want to kind of highlight that, like, this whole this whole book, he's really kind of and and honest. Wait, when does oh the alethiometer? She gets the reading in this book. It's not in the last one, right? Yeah, she can. Yeah, it's all she in could this read book. it. Well, she could read it last book, but, but but her reading of him, she didn't like get a a premonition reading. No, no, no. Okay, no, it was she met um, him and then took a quiet moment to look him up. Okay, so there's there's a narrative that kind of gets pushed on Will by other characters, um, that he is a violent person, that he is a murderous person, that he is a, a, um, and, and it's, and it's a thing that, I mean, we don't get this book going into their adulthood. We don't get a, a then and now (laughs) thing. Um, but I just, I don't know. It, it honestly, it starts in his flashbacks and his memories with protecting his mom from bullies. He had this reputation in school already, and he had people telling him that this was just how he was when he was younger. And and again, like keep in mind, he's like eleven, so younger is like less than ten. And because he he was protecting himself. And protecting his mom from people trying to hurt him. But he's the one that got a reputation as a violent person. Uh, and then it, it kind of carries over. Like, not even not even getting into, like, the, alethia- the alethia meter or anything. <clears throat> but just, like, when he's protecting Lyra, he has to make a split decision. And he does choose the violent option, but it's also really in context of the text. It was kill or be killed. Right. Like, like it wasn't like he was choosing between killing versus something else. He was choosing between killing or dying. Like, he was really forced into that. Um, and I would like to point out that even though this is a narrative of him being a murderer, it's not really with a lot of moral approbation or anything. No. It's just like, like when Lyra is told by the alethymeter that it's a murder, she, like, relaxes and is like, okay, I can trust him. (laughs) Yeah, which says a lot about Lyra's experiences in the world. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah, but but there's this this narrative of Will is forced into a situation where defending himself means violence. And then you get other adults, say other adults, like he's an adult, you get adults... that are telling him 
well, this is just your nature and just embrace this side of you and good for you, boy, you're turning. And like we even get the line, argue with anything else, but don't argue with your own nature. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I don't know. I almost, I really wonder like how that would be processed if we saw him growing up with that, because that kind of a narrative, and it doesn't even, honestly, it doesn't even matter. His particular narrative line is, is, is violent oriented, but that kind of a narrative pressure from particularly adults, but just other people when you're, when you're little, that has a lasting impact no matter what the Mm -hmm. narrative is. And yeah, like that's, that's a lot to, to, to put on him, especially when it's a kid. Yeah. Especially when it's, when it's like not, I get not the whole story is the wrong way to put it, but like it, it's not something that he's doing on purpose. It's actually something yeah. he's trying to avoid. <laughs> yeah, like he oh, and, and over and over, a violent solution will work, and sometimes it is the only option. But I don't know. It, it feels like. I think the, I was thinking about how, like, when he gets told, you know, don't argue with your own nature, in a book where people's natures are external to their bodies, and they can have a conversation with them, it's a really interesting thing to say. And it came from his father, who's from his world, who doesn't, who didn't start out life with a daemon that he could see and talk to. So, I don't know, I was just thinking how maybe it matters that that line, that the deterministic line came from someone who did not spend their entire life with a daemon. Oh, absolutely. Because by the time he got his daemon, he was an adult. It was this one shape. This (sighs) is just how his daemon is. This just was his nature. It's not malleable at that point. Right. Yeah, but yeah, for like, for for Will, like, it still absolutely is malleable. mm Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. I think his dad has no clue that that's, or or no real understanding that that is a thing. Right. There's a difference between knowing, well, I'm in this world. I ended up with a, I got a daemon because of a thing I did in this world. And uh, kids have daemons that change. Well moving on with my life <laughs> like he might he might have a deeper understanding of it because like he's a shaman but Whoa. also the way he talks to his kid the way he talks yeah. to will doesn't doesn't really lend itself very much to that interpretation like that was me trying to be super generous <laughs> um but was, yeah but like trying the, to be nice <laughs> the deterministic don't argue with your own nature thing really fights it really fights really cool stuff like Eirik making his own soul again like I don't know it, it I don't know with Will I think maybe we should get into how the there's a reason we called it manslaughter even though everybody else is calling yeah. it murder I think we should get into that a little bit because I think it's very important okay um okay so are we going into legal definitions or are we just <laughs> um I'm just gonna like describe what happened and because, like, legal definitions vary, but I, th- I feel like we can frame it in non-legal ways that paint the picture. So he, he was, so people were in his home, had broken into his home, were searching his stuff, 
searching his mom's stuff, trying to find these papers from his dad. And he's, he was, is it that he was there or that he came home? Like he, I do not remember, but he, he ends up there at the same time that they are there. He was, he came in, in the book, he came home, went to sleep, woke up. And the door was opening. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he has a fight, a physical fight with one of them at the top of the stairs and pushes this guy backwards and the person falls down the stairs and dies. Probably broken neck. We don't know specifically, but they fall down the stairs and, and die. Land funny, and, quote unquote. Yeah. And he is pretty sure they're dead, but he doesn't really like check and confirm and he gets out of there because he's trying to to leave. Um, and so he was defending his home. And so if we went into legal stuff, like he probably would have been more okay there. But yeah. also he's a he's a kid who just killed somebody. And even though he wasn't trying to kill him, when pretty immediately people are telling him that he is a murderer. Well, and like he, yeah, he doesn't get he doesn't get to process it really on his own. Well, and and also like he is a kid who kind of as we had a little bit mentioned, he is a kid who his first instinct was I'm going to attack this grown up. Mm-hmm. It, he wasn't intending death, right? But, but his, he felt his first like instinct he was not could do something. Hi, sir, why are you in my house? Please leave. What do you want? Mm-hmm. His his first instinct was don't let them know I'm here, and hurt them. And yeah. and again, like that's that's something that he has been forced into over and over and over. It's still a deliberate decision, but yeah. that's his that's his his mindset that he's been. Um, I mean, because previously it has worked because he's been defending himself against other children. And mm-hmm. so a little bit of violence scares the other kid, gets them to not do something worse. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then it was an adult at the top of some stairs. Yeah. And and it's it's hard. Uh, and the, I mean, in that moment, like, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> there's not there's not a lot of options that he had. He couldn't leave. It's his house. You know, <clears throat> and and so he chooses to push the guy, and but yeah, and you know, here's something with the alethiometer that I think is, I, I'm not sure how subtle it is with its communication. Mm-hmm. Like I think it is totally possible that oh, it said he killed someone, and Lyra's like ah, a murderer, or even just that the alethiometer communicating with Lyra. There's only one word for killed someone. Yeah, like, it it might be a pointless distinction between murder and manslaughter in that regard, where the alethiometer just doesn't know. But then we get to these, to the other adults later, who are trying to tell him, no, you are a violent person. And so that's mm-hmm. that's a little bit of a different flavor text, but I think, I don't, I don't know. And I wonder, I wonder also how real the killing part of it is to Lyra. Because she didn't grow up as a sheltered child, but, like, she grew up, I mean, she grew up playing Street Wars, right? With the mm-hmm. other kids. And yeah. and I wonder how much of it is in context of, oh, he would fit in with my group, and how much of it is, oh, no, he ended a life. And, because she's still a kid, too. 
And I, I, I wonder, like, if we, if we really sat down and had the chance to, to ask the author, <laughs> I wonder how much of that is just Lyra doesn't really understand what happened. And also, the alethiometer doesn't really have subtleties. So Lyra feels better. And Will is fine, because none of, and nobody else really has context when they, when they kind of talk about his actions. And so, you know, it works out, but, you know, I, I wonder if, if Lyra would have had the same reaction if the alethiometer gave more details, I guess, or if, you know, if she had more of a context for death. I don't know. And I don't know that she doesn't. I just don't, I just know that the text doesn't hand us more. Yeah. All right, on to the wrap-up for our gratuity rating for the Spectre Orphans. Uh, moderate, <laughs> maybe severe. Um, I like we got would a, argue... We got a bunch of backstory, oh. got a bunch of off-screen, but what we yeah. do see... What we do see... Well, okay, so... So we're we're talking about it the way the text describes it, not our own understanding of it. Yeah. If we pull it out of context and just talk about it, it's severe. The mm-hmm. way the text depicts it. Moderate. Moderate. Yeah. Does that still hold true if we include what happened to Tulio with Inspector Orphans? Uh no, but we also didn't do that. <laughs> okay, alright. That is a different so, that is a different setup, but it's okay. Yeah. Uh, so Will having to be an adult while he's a kid. Honestly, I feel like this is one of those that is... It's it's mostly bad the more you think about it, so the actual yeah. depiction is pretty mild. Uh, yeah, the, the depiction itself, I, I agree. I think the depiction itself is, is incredibly mild. Like, it's, it's framed it's like, as just this... This is what's happening. It's just this thing that's just going on, and of course he is. And and honestly, in context of books that are about child protagonists, and the whole point of the story is that they're still children. It's not just that they're mm-hmm. young. They are children for plot reasons. Right. Um, I think that it, it doesn't even read as being an abnormal thing, because Will is, of course, the child. So, of course, he's the one making decisions. Right. And I think that that even lends itself to even more just, it's just there, it's just part of the story, and it's mild. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then our final topic of, uh, manslaughter. Um, I think that that I think range this is, is moderate? Be- yeah, moderate, because the actual- the, the actual, actual wording thing is, is not super graphic, it's not super detailed, it's just kind it's matter of- matter of fact. Fair. Yeah. 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 The aftermath of the trauma has some like more <laughs> very direct words, but it's not but e- even then it yeah, moderate. It's mostly moderate because of what happened not it's not s- said graphically or anything. Uh then all right, were the specter orphans integral to the plot? Oh yes. Absolutely. <laughs> the plot, yeah. Yeah, you couldn't really have <sighs> the specters have the weight that they do without there being 
specter orphans. I mean, and if that's you, all I'm gonna say there. Yeah, and if you tried to insert, change, edit them with something else, like you could do it'd it. Be a it'd be a book. different book. Yeah, because they're so important. I might read that book, but it would be a different <laughs> book. I'm not uh, saying I wouldn't like it, but Will having to be an adult, uh, it's integral to the plot. It's the whole reason he's free to just jump into another world with no concern. Right. If he were like it, straight it up, is the setup. Yeah, like if he were straight up an orphan, I think he would be less able to jump out oh, because yeah, then he'd, he'd be like in an orphanage or something. Right. He'd right. have anybody yep. watching what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, and then the same with the uh, manslaughter incident. That is, I mean, that is integral. And and we're talking yeah. about like a lot of incidents in that. And those are they're mm-hmm. all they're all kind of key plot points. It's not just yeah. integral; like they are plot. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Was the trauma treated with care in voice, language, and phrasing? Uh, yes. For the orphans, I yes. feel like it's. Yes, I'm going to go ahead and say enough care with the orphans, because I feel like part of the point to, like, slowly build the horror is to slowly, like, strip away some of the language and softening of it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, So it slowly gets harsher, and then it's going to get harsher in the next book, but it, it, um, I think it's enough and especially when it's a magical analog for a thing, that, that gives some leeway. Um, <clears throat> Will, adulting as a child. Uh, it is. It's it's treated with care. Yeah. Um, it's treated with he, so much care that it's we've listed it as mild. <laughs> like, in yeah. the text, they've... They... Uh, the author has pulled it down so much. Uh, and then manslaughter. Um, yeah, I think, I think it was treated with care. Um, because I mean, when those are the, there are other depictions of violence in these books, but these are some of the more visceral depictions of violence in the books and they're not super visceral. Mm Mm-mm. Um, they're some of the more direct depictions, but they're not this Yes, that's, yeah, yeah. They're some of the most direct and straightforward, like, blow by blow, here's what's happening. Yeah. But it still feels very sanit- not almost gory, sanitized. Not like, super visceral. Yeah. 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 L- just enough distance. Um, interestingly... Okay, I'll talk about this with point of view because I just had a had a thought. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Well, so that's for point where of we view. are. <laughs> yeah. So okay. Well, but it's for the third topic, so I'll pause a moment. Oh. Okay. Uh, so for the specter orphans, point of view. We actually do get. Yeah, we bounce. We bounce around. Yeah, we get. We get uh, told what it's like by some of the kids. We get told what it's like by some of the adults. Um, yeah. and then we also have just Will and Lyra's own observations, and I think, I think we get a good balance of things. Yeah. Uh, I think we mostly get- a little bit, but not too much. For the aftermath, I think we mostly just get Lyra. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of Lyra noticing it from a distance after after it's been brought to her attention and she's been informed mm-hmm. on it. We get a lot of Lyra kind of going, oh- 
that thing again. Oh, no. Right. <laughs> uh, we gotta get that. Yeah. Uh, Will adulting as a child. Uh, we, we just as I mentioned Will? previously, we occasionally get other adults looking at the situation and going, oh, oh, that shouldn't be a thing. That shouldn't yeah, be happening. That's true. And so I think bouncing out to those is really useful because otherwise you'd get wrapped up in, yep, this is just what he's doing and this is should be how it is because he's a kid. So he doesn't see there as being any other option, but then we get some adults looking at it and going, Oh no, 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 no. Um, did you have any more thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I think for not really, I just kind of agree. Cause, um, there, there really is just a lot of, like, Will depicting what happens and then other people reacting like, oh, no. But, like, there isn't really there isn't really a lot of communication about it. It's more just observation. And so I, I think... Right. I think, like, that's it. That's all that really happens there. Like, we get the neighbor's internal monologue. Yeah, but, but that's we don't like have, they the don't have most a direct thing. Right. Yeah. No one says to Will, hey, this is messed up. They just kind of think in their head, oh, it's kind of messed up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, ah, dang it. What was my really good thought? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Um, it was point of view on the manslaughter. Uh, dang it. Should have said it. You could have moved it. Um, okay, let's start talking about. So with the, the point of view. Point of um, view for the for his his violence, quote unquote. Uh, I mean, oh, that's I know what it is. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So we we're talking about bouncing a little bit into treating it with care. Mm. Um, because the things happen so fast. Almost the best way to not have it be extremely visceral was to use Will's perspective in those moments. Yes. Because it happened so quickly and it happened from his point of view where it's like, move, 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 it's over. But if you Mm -hmm. were an observer, not having to make all the split second decisions, then you would get more of like a visceral effect from it. Oh, yeah. Like if you're watching it happen. Yeah. Yeah, like in the fight for the knife, like that's yes. There's some stuff that would be way that could have been way more viscerally described and was not. Yeah, and um, so, but yeah, I think that by being in the head of the person, uh, reacting violently, in a weird way, it made it less visceral. <laughs> Which is not how that usually works in well, books, but it's done very well. I in guess books, maybe. I guess in books it's not. I mean, but honestly, I think it depends on what books you read because a lot of the books I read, that's exactly. Uh, it, it's one way or the other. It's either mm-hmm. it's either that putting it in that person's head makes it feel more like split second, last minute reactions because it is, mm-hmm. or you realize how calculated and precise it was. Right. Um. Actually. I don't know if this series is too long. I bet it is. I bet it's too, I bet mm-hmm. it's too long for us to do this. But there, no, actually, no. I think there's a couple of these series that I have on our list. Uh, there's what? a couple series, um, where uh, being in the protag's head 
shows you how graphic it is. Because mm-hmm. everyone else thinks of them as this sweet, innocent person. And there's this whole thing. Like, um, I don't know if we want to read those books, but I put them on the list because I love them very much. But they're good. Um, yeah. But yeah, in, in Will's case, it's it, it highlights how how much he's not intending to do that much damage and is just trying to get away. Yeah. Okay. Moving on? <laughs> yep. Moving on to the <clears throat> aspiring writer tip. Aspiring writer tip. Um, uh, do you have one? Here's something, mm-hmm. here's something that... I I I think is is nice about this book or or happens in this book in a way that is just kind of a really good balance. Mm-hmm. A lot of books in multi-part series, especially the middle books, mm, they suffer. They suffer a lot. <laughs> They're either 110% just laying hooks for whatever comes next. Or they're so self-contained, they almost feel irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And this particular book has its own full, complete story. But you need to read the third one because it's not over. Right. And you need to have read the first one. Otherwise, who's Lyra? Why is this happening? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay. And I, I think that that I think that this is book of having the, enough, having enough plot threads, having enough that plot it's threads, an entire not, story within this book, right? But also not being afraid to close plot threads in a middle book. Mm-hmm. That's something that, like, actually, I don't think any of the series that we've read so far has been guilty of this. But I've read a lot of books where. You get book one, which is really good, nice, nice start, nice intro. Everything kind of makes sense. Book two is just like, this will happen soon. This other thing will happen soon. This will happen eventually. Stay tuned. Mm -hmm. And then you get to book three and chapter one is just thread close, thread close, thread close, thread close, plot, 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 plot. And then the story continues. Right, and then the story oh, continues. Oh, like they close a bunch of stuff from book two. In like just chapter in book- one of oh, book yeah. three. And that's the, that's the kind of book where it makes you almost feel like, well, I could have just gotten a summary of what I missed by skipping book two, and it's not as I mean, fun to read. That's um, like if a TV show has a cliffhanger at the end of the season because they're just like <laughs> trying to make sure they have the next season and then they yes. resolve the danger immediately. Then they resolve the danger in the opening shot and you're like, well, okay, fine. I didn't. Glad I waited a year. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Glad we had to wait for that. Cool. Um, mm-hmm. And and this book doesn't do that. There's There are mm-hmm. threads that were threads in book one that actually close in book two. Um, but not in not in chapter one, like in throughout the story, um, they la- they lay the threads for book three very very cleanly. But book two also has a full complete arc. Yeah, and and also the hook for book three, I think happens in like the last chapter or two. Right, it's not a hook that's been building from chapter three and we just don't know yet like no it's it's legitimately well, oh here's the next part stay tuned but it's a positive thing 
And it's, but it's with that particular hook, the groundwork <clears throat> was laid in book one for why we care. Oh, but oh, the yeah, actual yeah, yeah. plot bits didn't start rolling. Yeah, that's what I meant. Is like plot wise, it's not like it's it's <coughs> sorry. The inciting <clears throat> incident comes after yes some buildup and a lot of backstory spread out over enough time instead of the inciting incident and then a whole bunch of filler stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, uh, uh, aim for that <laughs> with your middle books, I guess, yeah. is the takeaway there. Can you hear my cat? Only a little bit. Um, favorite non-traumatic thing. Um, what? Um, <clears throat> <sighs> favorite non-traumatic thing. I'm trying to stay only in this book. Yeah, that's the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much stuff that, like, rolls over as we were just talking about. Oh! Oh, um, um... My cat, is, my cat is really, really trying to, like, weigh in and, and tell us how she feels about this book. She's attempting hmm. this very hard. Lee Scoresby. That's what it is. Okay. Uh, we get a little bit of Lee in the first book, but just Lee Scoresby and Hester, we get so much of their dynamic. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's not in book three. So, um, <laughs> this is when to talk about him. Uh, yeah. Uh, I just, I love, I love his dynamic. Um, Hester's understated and awesome. Um, yeah, he's, he's, it's it's like he's a Texan and like Texas is its own country. Uh <laughs> is the vibe that we got from this. <laughs> I mean, um, to be fair in America, Texas is a whole identity. Well, yeah, much but in like, the way of a nationality. <laughs> but it took me until rereading the series for uh the podcast to realize that no, Texas is just its con- it's a country. Like he's not even an American from Texas. He's a he's a internationally he's a texan and texas is a country um but uh i just uh the scoresby is is great and i it's so good i just not trying to do like plot spoiling details or anything but just lee scoresby and hester hester's his daemon and they're great uh what was yours? Um, mine, honestly, I don't know. I really just like the knife. <laughs> mm-hmm. As an it's very pretty. I just want one. <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I don't need it to cut things. I just want how shiny and sharp it is. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know that that's technically non-traumatic, but I really just want one of those knives. Um, yeah. So... I guess that's mine. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's it. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. For book two. Of this. All right. Yeah. Stopping the recording. All music used in this podcast was created by me as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. You can follow us on Twitter at Books That Burn, all one word. Email us with questions, comments, or book recommendations at booksthatburn at yahoo.com. 
Support us on patreon.com slash books that burn. All patrons get access to our upcoming book list and receive a one-time shout out. Leave us an iTunes review. This really helps people to find the show. And find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks.